you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. Can a fish be trained like a dog? Can a school project be both art and science, as well as entertainment and curiosity? How do we bring engagement back to the classroom? Today's podcast will grab you by the ears and entertain you all the way through. That is the the infographic. And then having to sort of take that idea and then in software, without having ever touched the machine, try and come up with something that's going to be both legible enough, but work around the limitations of an eighth inch drill bit is something that was, it's like a fascinating um, mental exercise. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing online radio show. Every week, we interview successful individuals from across the career spectrum and share their stories. We want parents and educators to learn the tools they need in order to get and keep the interest and curiosity of teenagers. Today's guest is a special treat. Zach Dowell knows how to have fun and learn at the same time. He's sort of a professional at it. He's currently working on the most fun project. This project involves several departments across his campus, math, science, engineering, computer science, theater arts, and Zach is planning to recruit sociology and psychology as well. What kind of a project could capture the interest of so many different kinds of people? Keep listening. I'll let Zach tell you. My guest today is Zach Dowell. Zach has been a faculty for 15 years at the Folsom Lake College. His official title is Instructional Design, but he and I were talking, and he actually said the words instructional R&D, and I actually like instructional R&D a lot better, has a different connotation. Zach had the opportunity to start a couple of companies in the dot-com bubble number one, and he worked with four startups, one in L.A. and three in Sacramento. And I asked what was the most interesting thing he'd ever done, and the first thing that came to mind was that uh, he had had an opportunity to do some archaeology in an unusual context. Back in the 50s, there was a set of murders called the Black Dahlia Murders, and uh, someone called in and gave him a lead, and they did some digging in someone's backyard. And that's a bit dark, but curious. And uh, I told Zach, you know, it's only 9.30 in the morning. It's, it's a little early for murder, so we'll probably sidestep that and go on to other topics. But that is very curious, Zach. And if it makes any difference, we did not find any human remains on that <laughs> Well, that's not quite so dark then. That, that's a little better. So tell us a little bit about these startups. I'm curious, what were you guys working on, and you know, kind of where did that go? Well, I... When I was completing some undergraduate and graduate stuff, I was looking for work and stumbled into stumbled into technology as part of all that. And my first job was a company that made kiosks for all sorts of things, uh, Social Security Administration. The company was most famous for a kiosk that allowed you to get uh, a divorce on a kiosk. Um, what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a court, court kiosks. And so you could go to so, some landlord tenant and sort of simple court filing kinds of things on a, on a kiosk and put your credit card in. So I did some work there, initially just testing and then moving into kind of the authoring and not quite programming of those, but 
kiosks and that that job led to a job doing all kinds of training dvds and website stuff uh when i moved to sacramento for uh, food service industry and and other kind of big clients in that sphere. And that job led to another startup job where we were doing technology for college newspapers. And that job led to another job that was sort of a marketplace, an eBay-like thing, but for court, uh, similar court things. So law firms could bid on bunches of cases of simple kinds of summary judgment kinds of cases. And so a marketplace for that. So, And in all that time, I was doing sort of product development and R&D type roles and sometimes managing developers and sometimes managing clients and that kind of stuff. So it sounds like you had this strong interest in developing things. So the R&D thing seems like it goes pretty far back. So how far back does that go? Like, were you an inventor as a kid? Yeah, I think it goes all the way back. I guess I would say I'm a lifelong tinkerer, uh, musician, trying to figure out how things work. I was a kid that liked to take stuff apart, uh, you know, take apart the old VCR or plug things into the wall that shouldn't be plugged in. And I'm curious, because a lot of teachers listen and you know, parents are always interested in how does this connect to school? Uh, what was your relationship to school kind of coming through middle school, high school, elementary school? What what was that experience like? Well, I come from a family of educators. My father is retired now, but was a ESL and English teacher at the middle, high school, and adult education levels, and later a site supervisor. My mother ran computer labs way back in the day, the Apple kind of two days. Both of my brothers are, one's a fifth grade teacher, one's a seventh grade teacher, and I was headed for being a teacher, I think from, you know, fourth grade on. And so school, eh, I did fine in school. I think I, I had to spend a lot of my time finding ways to do things outside of the school context. I'm not sure school gave me enough of the, the kind of inventing, tinkering, hands-on stuff that I required. So I got into music and, you know, played in bands and took stuff apart on the side and went to school as my day job. <laughs> so did you have any teachers that kind of fed that or was this like a solo exercise that kind of came alongside school pretty much a solo exercise i had certainly really good teachers that influenced me in other ways and in particular one that sort of set me on the path well a path that i never sort of completed but which was to be i wanted to be a fifth grade teacher since fourth grade <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, i went to school and you know got a degree and then went to teacher school and after completing all the sort of coursework everything but the, the student teaching for being a california multi-subject credential teacher i stumbled into technology at that time and sort of pursued that and have been pursuing that today we always had technology in the house my mother had an apple 2c i think signed by the Waz. what like, yeah, at one point she got some, there was something like she ran computer labs way back in the day, and she somehow got that as part of something. So we had a computer that had Waz's signature on the front of it. And yeah. I'm not sure if it was a two C exactly, but it was something in that time frame. I think that is very cool. It was very cool. It got stolen. <laughs> what? <laughs> Somebody broke into her house and stole the computer. So. What? Someone stole an Apple two C. Yeah. Uh, I guess the only reason to have that would be because of Waz's signature, probably, huh? I wish I had it now. My father-in-law has a Lisa, if you can believe that, with all the manuals and everything. So, Oh, wow. My introduction, actually, to computers was, I think that we had a, a Trash 80, actually. Trash 80. <laughs> <laughs> way, way back in the day, our school had one, and it had an old tape drive. And uh, the eighth graders kind of did a few things. And there was this guy, Mark, who did stuff on the computers. And he ended up working for a little startup called Oracle and did pretty well. <laughs> Me, I just... I didn't do that. I went off into some other place and ended up in technology later in life. The Trash 80, though, that's a venerable computer. <laughs> I wish I had one. I have a Commie 64 uh, that I think would probably work if I blew the dust off it. 
and of course a 2600 and a Vectrex and a and television and a and then all the Nintendo vintage game consoles from I guess not the Famicom but the whatever the first one the NES all the way through. So so gen. do you remember uh, uh, NFL? I think '95. There's a the one of the first football games. I just interviewed the guy who wrote that. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't know it. He's our local assemblyman. He's he's really cool, actually. I, you wouldn't expect that, like an assemblyman who's a who's a programmer, but I I guess that exists. That's awesome. So I, I'm getting a little out, down in the weeds here, but that's good. I'm, that's fine. I'm actually, I'm actually curious. Like you definitely have these deep roots in computers and technology, and you were involved in several tech startups. So what was the path to get into community college? Like how did you get there? And instructional design because that's a kind of an unusual path. Help us follow that path. So I went to, to my bachelor's degree in anthropology. I was told to just get any bachelor's degree and then you can get your multi-subject credential. So anthropology was the most interesting thing to me at the time. It still is. It's a fascinating field of study. But then I went into a credential program and completed all the coursework for that. And like the last course in that, right before the student teaching part, was a some kind of a computers in the classroom kind of a course, which was like HyperCard and really early web stuff. And I got really, really into it. And a professor of mine pulled me aside. And he, this is one of those sort of those teachers that kind of alter the course of your life. And he said, you know, you really, you should really pursue this. We have a new master's degree in instructional design and educational technology. And I think you should come and do that. And so I veered into that and finished up that degree. And that kind of set me on the path for community college because I wasn't, I didn't finish the, the multi-subject credential. And so I was I guess at that point, only qualified to teach at the community college level. So it sounds like you kind of went into the technology path in community college. So tell us a little bit about what you've done with that and explain why you call it instructional R&D. So I was working in a startup or a tech firm, and I saw the job opportunity here at Folsom Lake College. At that time, it was a brand new college that it just opened. It was the newest community college in California. And someone in, in I believe, infinite wisdom decided that they needed a full-time faculty member specifically to interrogate the idea of innovation. So I read the job description. It sounded like a dream job. I'm from an education family. It was an education job, but also seemed to be in an environment that was a lot like a startup, or at least I believe that at the time. So uh, <laughs> uh, a new college, new energy, you know, lots of new things going on, new buildings, uh, new building money, that kind of stuff. So I landed this gig and they said, here's a lab. What, do you, what should we do with it? do something. Here's a bunch of money to, to create a lab. And uh, at that time, it was all about uh, analog to digital, right? This is in 2001. So faculty had slides, trays and trays of slides. No one really had a digital camera back then, at least around here. So we equipped a lab for that kind of production to scan a bunch of slides and, and to put stuff on the web and to record digitally all sorts of things, uh, images and digital video to, uh, to mini DV back when digital video was tapes and stuff. And we did that kind of work for a long time. And then, you know, as, as mobile devices and smartphones took over all, pretty much all of those capabilities, that kind of space was not really relevant anymore. So we pivoted to kind of the making um, thing, which is interesting, full circle. So now we're, we're really focused on digital to analog, right? It's come all the way around. So that's the kinds of things that we focus on uh, in the Innovation Center today. And especially this kind of idea of making across the curriculum, which is sort of near and dear to my heart. And the idea of bringing the ethos and the techniques and the tools of making to all faculty and all disciplines, not just the ones that are obvious at the college level, like engineering and CIS and those kinds of things. So it sounds like you should tell us a little bit about the making across the curriculum. And that's partly because 
uh, I was actually told to talk to you about that. So I'm curious <laughs> what, what you guys do. And uh, it sounds like you guys are doing some cool stuff. So tell us, uh, tell us about that. So part of it's equipment, right? So it's equipping the lab. And we were an early adopter of 3D printers back when they were big. Uh, you know, and they always talk about, oh, computers used to take up the size of a room. We have a Z-Corp Z450 powder printer. I think we got seven years ago or something which is, you know, a giant machine that does interesting 3D prints, but it's sort of a deprecated technology once plastic printers and all those things came out. So, so part of it's that and having tools available to faculty. But more it's about what I do in, as an instructional R&D is I kind of keep my feelers op- out. I keep my ears open and I try and figure out what's happening in the world outside of the institution, right? And then try and figure out how that applies to our work here and then try and find faculty champions and convince them that, that they need to do those things. And then we spin projects up. So an example of a big current project is this library installation of an aquaponics system. So uh, I had been looking for a reason to do some internet of things type things to have. We've talked at the college about having, you know, information aware environments and, and I was looking for a reason to get some sensors of feeding data to something and happened upon the idea of, of aquaponics and I so I, I set out to create interdisciplinary team to kind of tackle that. So talked to the folks in the library and they were very enthusiastic and we have faculty in the library who are really into this idea. And they had space. There's a cool space out in the library under this octagonal skylight. And what's there now is a couple of small shelves, but we thought that'd be a sweet place to install an aquaponic system. So then I went out and found chemistry faculty that, that were into it from the water chemistry and biology faculty who are interested in, you know, the nitrogen cycle and bacteria and the plants on top and the fish in the middle. And finally, theater arts faculty, which to me is like the, the jewel of that particular project because you know, sometimes it's obvious. Something that's sort of a challenge, I think, is that by the time students get to community college or college, making, creating, that kind of thing gets siloed a little bit, right? So it's like, well, the engineers are where the, where the 3D printers will be. Or, um, and so, but not everybody's an engineer. And, not every, and, and I guess the arts is kind of the other avenue. And there's sort of this disconnect. So students in English don't necessarily, I think, have as, as many opportunities to do, you know, making stuff, which I think is super valuable. So the theater arts, I met with the faculty member over there and the students, and they have a welding rig which they needed to get some time on. And they have a brand new, the shop bot, the big one, like the 12 foot oh, wow. piece of the huge gantry crane kind of shop bot. And theater art students typically work at kind of a, a big scale. Like you have to see it from the, the last row. So there's this, there's an attractive component to this project. We're working at a small scale where people are up close to the thing. And that, so I assembled this team and we started getting the parts and the whole thing has got a set of sensors. So pH and, and electric conductivity and temperature uh, in the water and then CO2 and light and uh, humidity and those kinds of things up at the plant level. All of that talking to Arduino, all of that shooting that data up to a database and then some PHP on the front end to pull that out and display it right on the, the installation. So the theater art students are going to build this base. So we, we're, we haven't built, the, we're in the sort of building phase right now, but... The geek in me wants to know, can you query the data and get it to output different kinds of things? Yeah, it's just sort of in the database and, and there's just a record for each each sensor and then, not each sensor, well, there's a, there's a sensors table and then it's just pulling all the sensors at whatever interval. We're not sure exactly what interval, but... Because it would um, be very, very cool to to look at plots of things like nitrogen versus time and see is there a daily cycle is there a weekly cycle is yeah. there a monthly cycle and the yeah sorry sorry you just you just no. you just woke the geek inside of me the giant <laughs> is awake oh my goodness that's a really cool project well you'll like this because what's what's also interesting is like you know how tools have their own logic and and you don't necessarily know the logic until you can sort of 
like like as part of this project, I got to use a big CNC machine for the first time, and I had never done that. And you get to interrogate these ideas of scale. So right, it has an eighth inch drill bit. So when you're de- and but we're designing for a thing that's four feet wide. So like, where is the resolution point at which? Because uh, we're we're inscribing on this on the the base the actual nitrogen cycle. So there's an outline an outline of a fish and an outline of bacteria, and so the fish produce ammonia, which gets turned into nitrite by nitrosomonas bacteria, and then is turned into nitrate by the other bacteria, and then the plants like that, right? So that is the the infographic, and then having to sort of take that idea, and then in software, without having ever touched the machine, try and come up with something that's going to be both legible enough, but work around the limitations of an eighth inch drill bit is something that was, it's like a fascinating um, mental exercise. To your point about the sensors, ideally in a fish tank, they're super stable, right? In an aquatic system. And so figuring out like where where the the upper and lower limits of of the pH are before danger or whatever, and then how to display those data in a way that is interesting because otherwise it's just a flat graph, right? The pH yeah. Yeah. ideally sit in, a, in one spot. So so do you have someone working on the, the GUI front end for how to display and connect with the people walking by? This sounds like a really cool, big, multidisciplinary, rich project. Yeah, so prototyping, right? I'm, I'm this big believer in kind of getting up, sort of looked at diffusion of innovation theory. And, and there's always going to be people that are, that are early adopters and like super into it. And then there's this whole middle of the curve, right, where people that... And the people on the left hand of the curve, they can sometimes be enticed to innovate by what can sell them is stories, pictures, hands-on, you know, kind of getting things. So I'm a firm believer in like getting a prototype going. So in order to get this prototype up quickly and in around the constraints of an institution, which half of a project, more than half of a project (laughs) is, you know, innovation is great and wild ideas are great, but there is some value in being able to work a system to to bring, to manifest innovation on the world. And on this project is everything from there was no power in the floor where we need power, right? And just getting that done at a, even a small institution uh, is sometimes a tremendous challenge. But yeah, there's going to be ping sensors on the because I thought, well, and the other thing is like everyone loves metrics. Like, how do we know this is cool? Because we all know it's cool. We, the faculty involved, we think that there's value that we think students will think it's great, right? It's very, you know, it, it's it's pleasing to the eye. It's interesting. People like motion. People like fish. There's a lot of research about libraries as environments, like how can you help students kind of relax and chill out? You know, and there, there's things like adult coloring, but we have like a table where there's like puzzles and adult coloring books and stuff in the library so that students who just need a kind of a brain break. But I thought, how can we capture interaction? So that infographic, it's going to be in CNC'd into the base. There's also going to be a, some ping sensors, I think ping sensors, that will know when someone approaches the system, right? And we'll log that. <laughs> and the, the base will gently light up, right? In, maybe in order, the circle, like the fish first, then the bacteria as some kind of a visual cue. But then also some way of logging, you know, logging those data that say, okay, someone walked up to the fish tank and they stayed there for 10 minutes, right? Because that, that says something about how they're <laughs> interacting with it. And then you, you can just sort of know that stuff. Now, if you do that and you log that data, then you could get sociology involved. Absolutely. And, and psychology. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I was talking to uh, another project that we're in the early stages of is with a psych faculty uh, and using the Open BCI, which I'm not sure you've heard of that, but it's a, the Open Brain Computer Interface. It's like a helmet and a, a Arduino shield. It's a 16 or 32 channel EEG, is that the right word? Uh, oh, really? Yeah, and so and that and it's open source, so that you can take those data, you can do stuff with them. 
so the faculty member I was talking about was actually into that. Like, well, let's let's put that helmet on or that that brain cap on students and have them interact with the fish and see what happens, or have them try and train the fish. You know, you can. He said, you know, you can train fish to do simple tasks like swim to one side or swim to the other side of a what a tank. Yeah, and they'll, <laughs> and they'll hold on to these very simple tasks. But I like the way you're thinking because so this prototype gets us something out in the open. It gets people excited, and then I'm already in conversations about phase two. I've talked to nutrition faculty who could do those kinds of caloric density analyses, and, and we're, we've talked about scaling it up to an outside system. So, so the system we're building now is, a, is an example. It'll be sort of aquarium fish and herbs or something on the top, but scaling that up to like an actual small aquaculture farm scale outside with tilapia and greens or something and doing caloric density analyses. And CIS is interested in phase two to do some more of the, the front-end work like you're talking about or mobile apps. And then we have water wastewater <laughs> management. I didn't think about mobile apps so you could have the students like checking up on their favorite fish and stuff. Absolutely, That's really right? funny. That's awesome. Yeah, we want to celebritize the fish. I, I'm trying to, <laughs> I was looking at ways to, uh, to waterproof a webcam because I want to, I want to put a cam in the tank and have the fish's eye view and have that be one of the data windows on the display on the web and kind of stream from inside the tank. But water wastewater management, talk to them because they're involved in, you know, pipes and pumps and, and all the kinds of infrastructure, you know, big things and then do comparative stuff, right? We have a garden outside already. So why not put some sensors out there, put some sensors on the outside aquaculture, put some sensors on the inside aquaponics and compare the data, start some seeds in each environment and follow them through their process or whatever, and just turn it into like a big thing with as many disciplines, sociology or psychology or whoever wants to play. All right. So you've tickled all of my brain cells and thinking about multidisciplinary projects. So let's take this backdrop of this cool project you're thinking about, because I know that you have thought about multidisciplinary stuff. Have you thought about like, how does this apply maybe at high school level? How does this apply at middle school level? Like, how do you do stuff like this in an environment where you don't have quite as much expertise from the faculty? In our area, we have a lot of strong PLTW schools, Project Lead the Way. And I think that that in our area in particular, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening, at least at the middle school and high school levels. And so PLTW has these pathways for biotech and CIS and some other ones. And so part of the making across the curriculum is both increasing capacity inside, but working with even other colleges in the region to try and sort of tie all those pieces together. We know that there are faculty in our service area that are doing cool stuff. And we know that we have a, a college that's not in our district, but is it close in the region? They're doing some cool maker stuff. And so we really, in the spirit of kind of the openness of the maker movement, looking at ways to build regional capacity and talk to those high school teachers and, and, you know, they do summer training stuff. So maybe we have them here and connecting with that project and we find ways to take their pathways and feed them. And, and it's amazing to me at this day and age that there's still such disconnectedness. Maybe it's critique of systems and silos in general, but I just think there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of expertise I'll give you an example about expertise and why it's important to prototype and to talk to as many people and to be open and honest about sharing these things. I talked to our vice president of administration who is responsible for facilities, right? And knowing that this getting power to the library was going to be a challenge in our system, just given our history. And it turns out that she is a pond enthusiast and was so psyched about the project that she was just lit up about it. And I have to believe that that was reflected in the speed 
however slow with which we got the power. You know, like people <laughs> people have expertise and, and excitement points. And, and so tying that back, you know, finding those wealth within our own institution, finding those in the in our feeder schools and, and working that chain as much as possible and bringing people together as much as possible, sharing resources, sharing ideas. Maybe that's how we tackle it. This has just got so many neurons firing. It's coming so fast. I can't even hardly get words out here. What would you like to see ultimately as a, you know, maybe a connection point between, you know, sort of community college, maybe four-year college, high school, middle school? Like, what would be the ideal environment for you? Well, community colleges are interesting in that we, we are sometimes the institution of choice, right? There are some students coming out of high school who might otherwise be transfer bound, but for various reasons, come to us. And it might be that they want to save money because it's super smart, right? Community colleges are, are widely known to be a great way to get uh, the first two years of an undergraduate program without spending a whole lot of money. And then there are folks that return to school. And, and so I think that the, the pipeline, if you want to call it that, sometimes kind of ignores us at the community college. But not every student coming, even through a PLTTW program coming out of high school, is necessarily going to go and be an engineer at San Jose State or at San Luis Obispo or wherever. And so just getting those communities of practice horizontally, right, so that students coming up through 6 K through 12 environment have access to the same kind of resources and then it doesn't drop off the cliff, right? So students in K through 12, might, they might have some cool hands-on things. And then by the time they reach college, depending on what their major is, they might just suddenly lose that, right? And so this is why the across the curriculum part is so important to me. And so I would see a system where students could be engaged and, and having hands-on and transformative educational experiences and have a pathway all the way through from K to 12, two years here, and then articulating with a place to go uh, from here or to go into the job, like not job market. Not all of our students are transfer bound, but that's a big part of our mission. So, Wow. Well, I would love to chase this, and I have about a hundred more questions, but I'd like to, to loop around uh, to a couple of questions we always like to get to, um, but I think I'd like to change them up just a little bit. I normally ask, uh, in the digital age, what does it mean to be educated, you know, with quotes around the word educated, and also what is the purpose of an education, and I'll let you put those two together because then I have another question I'd like to ask you. So define that term educated and then help us understand the purpose of an education in our current context. And then I'm going to ask another question. Okay. I was thinking about this question when, when I was coming through teacher school and those other things, you, you get asked this question a lot um, and you have to write about it in different ways. And I almost wanted to, I know I have them somewhere. I probably have the papers. Like when I, when I started uh, the credential program they ask you questions about philosophy of education, and you take those social and psych foundations of those things. As thinking about this, I think that I suspect that my answer is would have then been remarkably similar to what it is now. And I think it education is to help human beings realize in some ways their incompleteness and to strive to be whatever they are capable of being. And I think I would have answered that question the same many, many years ago. But I think as thinking about this, I, I would add something to that now. And I think that it is that education is that, but that there's a component of human togetherness. We face a lot of challenges as a nation, as a world, as a species, as a global enterprise. And I think that education, if it is to be what it should be, it has to not only help individuals realize their potential and shine their brightest, but to realize the connectedness and the ways in which 
they the learner needs to apply their genius their gifts their whatever in the service of helping others whatever others means in in whatever context other people the planet the species the community so i suppose that's how i would answer that question so is that sort of in a multidisciplinary sense or sort of a a giving back sort of sense or both i think in both i think that first of all helping individuals realize that they do have gifts right in whatever spheres or whatever disciplines or whatever helping to individuals realize that they have gifts in in whatever capacity and then helping them to understand how to manifest those gifts and in the service to not only themselves and their own betterment and and full potential but in the service of others again whatever others means so i'd like to uh i'd like to kind of go beyond the you know what the what is the purpose and just take a couple of minutes and ask what could we do to move the current system into that purpose it's true that for adult learners the degree to which they can integrate their experiences and connect their sort of lived experience with curriculum is 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 a positive in terms of their learning and i suspect that's true for all students and so I think that in an age when so much of the energy is around, how do we, so how do we quantify this, right? Legislators and, and uh, funders and, and so forth are obsessed with, with this, you know, metrics and, and analytics and, and how do we know that uh, X, Y, or Z is working and so forth. And there's certainly value in some of that, but there's also value in, in blowing minds, right? <laughs> I think that, that that is not, and it's not as easily quantifiable, <laughs> But it is, I think, ultimately a more kind of human measure and perhaps more of a predictive measure of whether people are learning or whether they're connected to their own learning. Uh, if their minds are blown in whatever way, that doesn't have to be like all the time, wow, whatever, but even little opportunities to connect lived experience or for an individual to use their gifts to solve a tangible problem, which is not often the same as a solve a problem on paper. It can be, but it is not always. And so uh, I think to the extent that institutions can forward that as, as kind of a way of being, which is difficult, right? It's difficult in, a, in an era of standard testing, and it's difficult in a limited resource environments and so forth. Uh, but I think ultimately that that is the way we can help learners reach for their potential. I think we're going to wrap it right there. I, I just love how you tied that together. So thank you so much for taking some time to talk to our audience about what you do. It was fascinating, and I have, like I said, a bunch more questions we'll have to talk offline. But uh, if our teachers or parents are interested in learning more about what you do or connecting with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can reach me at flcinnovation.org, and I am also Noise Professor on Twitter. Well, thank you, Zach, so much for spending some time today. This has been fascinating. Great. And uh, you know what? I'd love to talk more about any of this stuff. We can, so I'd love to get your pick your brain and uh, and talk more. So feel free. Excellent. Every now and then, I have a guest that nerd snipes me. The term nerd sniping is from the XKCD cartoons. Funny, but somewhat irreverent. Essentially, today's episode grabbed the nerd inside of me, and I got a little excited. Projects like the one Zach is currently working on are a perfect example of the kind of learning that we seek and value at Tabletop Inventing. If you want your kids to be exposed to more fun and interesting applications of technology that capture the imagination, let's talk. Visit our website. Send me an email. Our website is ttinvent.com. That's T-T-I-N-V-E-N-T.com. 
and you can email me at steve at ttinvent.com. And let's find out how to connect. Kids need inspiration. We love to provide it, just like Zach is doing at Folsom Lake College.